You're listening to the Centre Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message recorded live from our Burgess Hill campus. For the month of August, um, except for next week, um, we're going to be looking at Nehemiah and uh, working through the first six chapters of Nehemiah. And uh, Nehemiah is one of my favorite uh, passages of scripture, uh, as it's a, it's a great passage of scripture on on uh, on seeing breakthrough, right? And as we even were praying for families for breakthrough, you know, there's things that God uh, God can do the impossible in very bleak situations. Just before we read the passage of scripture this morning, uh, just a little background for for everyone. Uh, Israel at this point had sinned; they basically mess made a mess of of that which God had kind of led them into. And uh, so God sent them out on exile. And so they are in Babylon at this point, and uh, Israel and Judah had been left desolate. Only the poor had been left to uh, kind of work the fields, but the cities, the walls of the cities were broken down. Literally, I think if you had walked kind of through Israel and Judah at that time, it would have been like in a ghost town. It was like looking at the remnants of what was, kind of like a war-torn country. You know, I'm sure there's parts of Syria and other parts of the world at this moment that you would walk through and thinking, I'm sure this was a lovely place at some point. And I'm sure at this point, uh, Judah and Jerusalem and places, I'm sure people would have walked through thinking, this was some city I've heard. But looking only at rubble at this, at this point. And this is the context of what's happening. Only a few are left there. And God, uh, although this was the situation and everything looked as it was, God was working behind the scenes. God had a plan actually for Jerusalem. He had a plan for Israel that didn't just stop at, okay, you've sinned, I'm sending you out in exile, and we're going to leave you there. Actually, there was a plan to restore. There was a plan to, to rebuild. And, and all the while, although this was on the surface, God was moving behind the scenes. Uh, and he, was, he had a plan that he, he had, was putting into motion. And we're going to read the beginning of Nehemiah. And today we're going to read chapters one, uh, chapter one, and we're going to go to chapter two, a bit of chapter two. So we're not going to read all the verses, but we're going to read some of them. And we're going to just start drawing out from this, this passage of scripture of Nehemiah, or this chapter of Nehemiah. And, uh, I believe God wants to challenge our hearts as we look to our future. Uh, what we see in the scripture, especially when we look at the Old Testament, so much of that, people lived out God's plan, or God, God worked his way through individual situations, but in the same way, what we learn from them, we can apply to our lives and understand this is how God wants to work in us and through our situations also. And so verses 1 to 4 of Nehemiah, of chapter 1. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hekeliah, in the month of Kislev, in the twelfth year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some of the other men, and I questioned them about Jewish remnant that survived that exile, and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept, for some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. We just read that. We can hear news. We can hear situations of going on, of, of what's going on. And sometimes we hear something, we watch something on the news and we can be completely unfazed by tragedy. Now, Nehemiah hears 
probably a similar report that many people would have heard about what's going on in Jerusalem. It wasn't anything new. Right? This was nothing new of what was, what happened in Jerusalem. They had been in exile. Many people probably would have returned or traveled back and forth to some degree. But something grips Nehemiah's heart. Something, something hits him hard and he begins to weep and mourn for, for this place. God gets his attention. Do you know, when God is on the move, in whatever the context, he invites us to be part of it. He invites us to be part of what he is doing. He doesn't just work in isolation. In fact, he has a plan and our, his plan involves you and me. It doesn't involve anyone else. We are the, we are the answer. We are part of the process. And so he gets his attention by, by his heart being moved. Now, Nehemiah's heart was obviously sensitive to the Lord's leading and his response is to weep at this moment. And you know, I think for you and I, God does the same with us. We, we, we have a world around us that, that is broken and, and is torn and there's all sorts of things that are going on. And there's things that, that we see that grip our hearts. And it starts, this is the very starting point of change. It's interesting, as you look at world organizations, especially those that, that do um, uh, social action or, or do things that, that humanitarian aid, how many of them have Christian roots? The vast majority have Christian roots. If you go down deep enough, they started from a Christian founder somewhere along the line whose heart was moved by a situation. Why would you get involved? Why, why would we uh, even kind of go down that road of, of having to get our hands dirty in a situation? It's because somewhere along the line, someone's heart was moved with compassion, was moved that this wasn't right, there was an injustice, something had to change. You know, I think for you and I, there, as Christians, there's times in our lives our hearts need to be moved by something. I don't think as Christians, as, as followers of Christ, our hearts cannot be moved by compassion. How many times do we see Jesus walking along and his heart was moved? Something moved in him that led him to do something. He didn't just look at the, the sick or the broken or the hurting and just say, wow, what a difficult situation that is. And then kept moving. But something in him gripped him and said, I've got to do something about this. God moves in our hearts. And this, this part of our hearts being moved is God saying, hello, I want you to be part of something I'm doing right now. I'm moving your heart so there's something deep inside of you, a deep conviction, a passion in you to do something about it. I'm going to use your heart to help you. You know, it's very difficult to help something that your heart is not in. How many would agree to that? I found it very difficult to serve, no matter what the context is, if my heart is not in it. But if God gets my heart, he gets all of me. And you and I, we hit moments in life where, where, where things come across our radar that our heart is twigged, our heart is moved. And it's important what we, how we respond. I believe as believer, I believe as Christians that our hearts should be moved on a, a regular basis by various things. Now, for Nehemiah, he hears this word that, about the condition of, of Jerusalem. And again, it was nothing new, but at this moment, something shifted in his heart. And he begins to weep. Something, something's gotta happen. And he begins to pray and begins to fast. But it doesn't just stop there. He, he starts to take responsibility. And as we keep reading this passage, we're going to read verses 5 to 11. Then I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his, co uh, his covenant of love with those who love him and obey his commands, 
Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night. For your servant, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees and laws you have uh, gave your servant Moses. Remember your instruction. Oh, Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commandments, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I've chosen as a dwelling for my name. They, uh, they are your servants and your people who are redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delights in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was a cupbearer to the king. He, Nehemiah, takes responsibility also for what happened. Again, he, he, he takes onus on the sins of his people. He, 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 he says, you know what, this was, this is not just someone else's problem, but actually, I, I, I take this responsibility as well. God, I'm sorry also for the sins. But he doesn't, also in this situation, he doesn't just leave it for someone else to respond, but he, he, he takes this, this news and he, he prays and he, he, he offers it up to the Lord. Do you know, I think for us, it's easy for us, and I know in Canada we have this expression, to pass the buck. Do you, have you heard this expression, to pass the buck? We pass the buck on someone else. Something is going on in the world. Something's going on in our life or in the workplace or in our family. And it's easy for us to pass the buck that someone else is going to pick up the, the slack, is going to do something. But when something is moved in our heart, you know, Nehemiah didn't just leave it as, wow, that's really bad. Something gripped him, but then he, he began to pray and he began to take responsibility for the, for the situation. He, he took onus. He said, actually, this is something. If it's, if it's moving my heart, then actually I've got a part to play in its solution. I'm going to pray for this situation. I'm going to really intervene in the, in my prayers before the Lord. Why is your heart being moved? It's because God wants to work to, through you to, to move in the situation. What does God want to do through me right now? What does God want to do through my life in this time? He pray, he prays this, this prayer and Nehemiah doesn't just run off and try to do something, but he takes time to seek God's strategy, to, to understand what God is wanting him to do, to pray for the Lord's favor. In fact, Nehemiah, as we look at the timeline, Nehemiah is told in the autumn, but doesn't actually do anything till the spring. I think there's a risk that some of us including myself, run, is that when God moves, or God moves in our hearts, sometimes we think there's an immediate action needs to be taken, and sometimes there is, but sometimes we also need to pray through it. We need time to kind of, God, what is it you wanted to do? What is it, what is your plan in this purpose? We read scripture as if it's all happening in one moment, right? Because we have the ability to read quickly. But months are passing, Nehemiah constantly is praying and fasting, praying and fasting. He's seeking God. He's seeking God. What is the plan, God? What is the situation? What, what, what do you want me to do? What, what's the breakthrough? Where, where do I need to be looking? 
You see, great things happen often. Our hearts are moved, but then we take that that moving of our hearts and we bring it to the Lord and we start to seek God over it. We don't just start to engage in answering the problem. But actually, we seek God, what is your plan now? You've got our attention. You've moved our hearts. Now, what is it you want to do in this? How do I, how am I to be involved? When God is moving our hearts, we take the response, we pray. You know, there's, there's moments in my own life, I, I know that uh, God has clearly spoken and, and there was a response that was required, but it, it was different maybe than I expected. I remember in, I think it was, it was roughly around two, in the year 2000, I was walking along the streets in, in my hometown in Canada, minding my own business, and God dropped Albania in my heart. I'd never been to Albania, I didn't know where Albania was on the map, I didn't even know where, you know, where it was in the world. I just remember walking down the street and something hit me about Albania. I thought, what is this? At that point, nothing was on the news about Albania. I got home, googled Albania. Where's Albania? I don't even know anyone from Albania. At that point, I initially thought, is God calling us to live in Albania? Um, and so, through a process of sending lots of emails to different, I tried to find, can I, I've got to meet someone from Albania first. So, Donna and I set a three-week trip. Um, we found out after we booked our trip that Donna was pregnant, which was not great timing. Um, we went to Albania at that time, and it was certainly after their civil uprising. There was rubbish everywhere. There was lots of wonderful smells for a pregnant lady. And um, <laughs> we, um, we walked the streets of Albania, and there was cows eating in the rubbish piles. And Oh, it was just disgusting. It's a different place today, very different place. But God moved in our hearts, and I thought there was a plan of, of what needed to happen. I, I thought, God, you're moving our hearts. You're obviously calling Don and I to live here. We got there. And Donna's like, I can't live here. <laughs> Probably didn't help that she was pregnant at the time and was throwing up at every moment. Um, but there was this thought, okay, okay, well then what, God? And we, we, we stayed three weeks in Albania, which was probably two weeks too long for, for one of us. Um, and we got back to Canada and I, I started to pray, God, what is it? Why is Albania in my heart? But I, I think it became clear when we were there, we do not have the grace to live here. At least not at this point in our lives. And then, I felt God called, I need to raise up people to take to Albania. I need to, I need to, I need to start, uh, bringing people across. And so we started at that point taking a team. Uh, we took a team in 2001 from Canada to Albania. Now of that team, I took only six people, um, with me. Two people decided to, they felt called to Albania and, and lived in Albania and served in Albania. One got married to an Albanian and, and served there for 10 years, um, and planted two churches and all sorts of things happened in Albania. Um, over the years, I continue to have taken people to Albania and God has moved through those people. But my role was different than what I expected when I set out. Again, sometimes God moves in our hearts, but sometimes the answer is slightly different than what we're expecting. And it takes us, instead of just launching into something, just going bullheaded into it, we need to take time to pray, God, what is it? What is it you're wanting to do? Even in our context right now, I really have sensed this past spring, God wants to move in us as a church, really reaching the children and young people in this area. Now, I've got all kinds of ideas, but one of the things over the summer we're really praying into, God, how do we reach the kids and this community? I, I believe God wants to reach children. 
I mean, he wants to reach everyone, but there's something in my heart that's been stirred. But what is it? What is it? Again, it's not just for the church down the road to do something, but it's for us to listen to his voice. Now, for Nehemiah, when the time was right, a commitment had to be made. Now, this next passage of scripture we're going to read, there, there comes a point, God stirs in us, we pray, there comes a point when action is needed. We can no longer just sit on the sidelines and think, someone's got to do something, I'll keep praying for the situation. There's some, there's a, comes a point when we have to engage ourselves, we have to take the risk, we have to take the step, say, okay, I will do something. And for him, this comes this moment. In the month of Nisan, this is chapter 2, 12th year of King Artaxerxes, um, when wine was brought for, uh, for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, why does your face look sad when you're not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face look sad when the king, when the city where my fathers are buried lies in ruin and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, what is it you want? What is it you want? Now, Nehemiah was risking a lot, one even to look like he was sad in the king's presence, could have cost him his life. That alone. But God opens this door for him with this question, what is it you want? What is it you want? That is a great question for the response to what moves our heart. What is it you want? What is it we're believing for? What is it? That needs to change, needs to shift, needs our involvement in. What is it we want to see happen? What is it? It's like a vision question. Where is it you're going? What is it you're going after? What is it you want? God opens wide this door. Now, the answer to this question is a big one. Because he's about to ask something that is like rebuilding the capital city of your enemy. Or what was your enemy? It seems illogical for any king to allow that to happen. But here's the response. It says, then I prayed to the God of heaven. How long was that prayer? How long? So he says, what do you want? And I prayed to the God of heaven. It wasn't that he... Just give me five minutes. I'm just going to go to another room and pray. There was a moment of prayer of God help me to get this out right. How many of you had those kind of prayers in different moments? Oh God, help me on this one. He prays and then he answers with this. If it pleases the king, if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city of Judah where my fathers are buried so I can rebuild it. Wow. He puts both feet in. What is going to happen now? Is, is the cupbearer a builder? What is his level of expertise? Come on, he's a cupbearer. What would he know well? Wine. 
What is he asking to go do? Build a city. It's like me saying, oh God, send me to rebuild London. I don't know. It's, it's, I'm not a builder. I know nothing of the trade. I mean, this is a ludicrous thing. Is, is what moves Nehemiah's heart beyond his ability? Absolutely. Is it out of his side, his scope of, of expertise? 100%. Is it his life on the line by even asking of the king? 100%. Do you know, he's stepping into the most risky situation by saying, Oh, send me, the cupbearer, to go rebuild my city, which was once in opposition to you. How crazy is that? You know, I've heard of a lot of crazy people doing things for God. A few weeks ago, when Johanna shared about what, I'm not saying she's crazy, but when Johanna shared about what moved her heart and her engagement now with the refugees, you think, well, who is she? A few years ago, who, who is she? Who are we? We're just cupbearers. We're just people that have maybe no experience into what God is moving our hearts in. But that doesn't disqualify us in God's big plan. You see, for Nehemiah, it was just his availability to say, okay, my heart is moved. I'm going to pray. And in those months of prayer, God solidified something in his heart, knowing he was the man for the job. And so when the opportunity came for him to step forward and say, I want to rebuild the city, he was ready for that. You know what? God isn't looking for all our qualification lists. God can speak to our hearts to be involved in things that you have no qualification for. It doesn't matter to God. He doesn't really care what you can and cannot do. He is cared that you're, you're open to His moving of your, of your spirit. If your heart is moved, you know what? God's got your attention and He knows you're the right person for the job. If your heart is moved by it, you're the right person to respond. I mean, no doubt he was well, well educated in, in the Babylonian system. No doubt he had other training, but God, God speaks to him and he says, you know, I'm going to do it. Following God will always involve these moments of risks though, a risk where we lay it all on the line. Well, we said, you know what, I'm going to go start that project. I'm going to help that person in need. I'm going to involve myself in the situation. Even though I don't know how it's all going to pan out, I'm going to do it. I'm going to, I'm going to just step out. You see, change doesn't happen when we sit in our safety net and just hope it, will it to happen. I hope the refugees in Greece are better tomorrow. I hope it. Actually, change happens when we engage ourselves saying, you know what? God's moved our hearts. We're going to do something about it. We're going to see happen, but it requires risk and risk is that it could all go wrong. For Nehemiah, his life could have been on the line. The king could have said, what? Who are you? How dare you ask such a thing? Out of my presence. Off with your head. You're a dime a dozen. I can get someone else to taste wine. Anyone can taste wine. No. Actually, Nehemiah puts it all on the line. He takes the risk and God opens the door. You see, in this moment of tasting risks, we put, our, we put it all on the line. And at this moment, faith is required because the outcome is dependent upon what God can do, not what you can do. If Nehemiah was a great builder and he had built large, large portions of Babylon and you think, I actually know why he can do this. I think he, he's got the right skill. He's an architect. He, he went to trade school. He trained underneath Mark and, you know, it's, it's really good stuff. But God often, how many times does God not work this way? He calls the least of these. He calls the unwise to confound the wise. He, he calls the weak to, 
to surprise the strong. Uh, he works through the, the inconspicuous. The kingdom of God is not a God, a kingdom that's built upon strength of man, but it's built upon the strength of God through vessels of weakness. And you and I are these vessels of weakness that we just say, hey God, here am I. I'm going to trust you for the outcome of this. You see, it's in this realm that miracles happen and breakthroughs come. Moments when we share our faith, when we reach out to these people, we respond to desperate situations. It's, it's when we, we say, okay, I'm going to involve myself, that we suddenly step into this realm where a miracle can happen. We suddenly step into the realm where God can do the supernatural through our lives. I believe as Christians, we should have a wake of miracles following our lives. But those miracles don't just go before us. They follow after us as we step out in faith and engage in areas that we are not able to do unto ourselves. But we're dependent upon the Father. We're dependent upon Him doing that which we can't do. Now as this commitment is made, and as He just lays it out to the King, as we skip down a little bit, verse 8. It says this, it says, And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my request. Do you know what, what seemed impossible for everyone else became very possible with God? Not only did he, he ask and get permission to do that, he, he went so bold to ask for supplies and ask for letters of of accommodation and, and he, he, he went really bold. If you read through the passage, I encourage you to do it. He was really audacious in his request, but he answered the question clearly with what he wanted. This is what I want. He had already thought it through. At that moment, when the king asked, what do you want? He already knew what he needed. And so he was able to articulate because he already spent time in prayer. He'd already put it all together in his mind. He knew what the vision was. And when the moment came to share the vision, he knew exactly what it was. And he didn't lighten it down. He didn't, he didn't make it kind of uh, palatable. He just said it as it was. Let me rebuild. I need some supplies. I need some people. I need resources. I need letters of accommodation. I need, I need all this stuff. Can you give it to me? He says, you know what? I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you. It's yours. The impossible suddenly moved into the realm of the possible. That's the miracle. Was the cupbearer anything great? No. Was Nehemiah some superhero Christian? Absolutely not. He's just a guy like you and me. But he was willing to follow the leading of the Spirit in his life. He was, he was willing to follow the prompting of a moved heart. Pray into it. Seek God into it. And when the moment came, he committed himself. He took, took the step of faith. He said, okay, I'll do it. And God then brought the breakthrough. You know, sometimes we are resistant in following God because we're wanting the breakthrough before we step out. We're wanting things to come together. We want the stars to align. We want everything to, when the finances are in there, we, we'll do it. When, when, when I get that right position in my job, I'll do that. We, we, if this, if this, if this happens, do you know what? God doesn't work that way. When God says now, now's the time. When the door opens for us to do something, it's best that we don't flinch at that point. We don't back down. We say, okay, I'm going to take the step of faith. And in that moment, it's on the other side of stepping off the cliff, we see that God's there. On the other side of it. There's been many moments in, in our lives where God has called us to take a step of faith. And it's like the leap of into the darkness. We don't know what's on the other side of that. 
But we do know God's with me. I know that voice, the, the, the prophetic word that was given this morning. You know, it was so right on for this. God is wanting to, to stir the nest. He's wanting to move some of us outside of this comfort zone. You know, in Babylon, the cupbearer had it made. He would have had a nice home. He would have had all the provisions. He, he was completely covered and protected in this little nest. But God stirred the nest of his heart. He wasn't content. There was something happening in him. And if you, as we will continue to read through Nehemiah's journey, his nest gets very uncomfortable, but he flies. Nehemiah would not be a book in the Bible if Nehemiah stayed the cupbearer of the king and just stayed in his little safety nest. You have a plan and God wants you to soar. God does want you to move in the great things he has for you, but it requires you to following this prompting of his heart, prompting of, of his spirit in your heart. And again, for each one of us, that could be something different. Maybe it's a situation you know that Something's in you that you need to respond to. Can I encourage you today to begin to pray into that? Don't just let those, when our heart is moved, don't just let that pass by. Don't just drink a, something to, to let it ease. Respond to it. Pray into it. And see what God will do. It might be different than what you expect. Maybe when Nehemiah started praying into it, he didn't think he was the answer. Maybe he was praying that God would raise up someone. I don't know what he was praying. He was praying something. But in that process of prayer, God made it very clear where his role was in it. And as we pray into things, God makes it clear what our role is in his big plan. When was the last time your heart was moved? When was the last time something really stirred you to do something? You know, God wants to get our attention. And maybe even today, there's something that maybe God stirred your heart for something a few years ago. or And you've just let it kind of, you've, you, you've numbed that voice. You know what, maybe it's time to fan that back into flame. What does God want us to do about it? I just encourage you to take hold of that which God is speaking, what God is stirring. Bring it to him in prayer. And as the Lord leads, to start taking the actions to see it come to fruition. See that the gracious hand of the Lord can be on your life just as much as it's on Nehemiah's life. I just sometimes wish I could just see the world and situations from God's perspective. But can I tell you, every, every time in my life that I've taken a step of faith and I've looked back, I've seen God do the miraculous and it's built my faith, it's built my courage. But when I step into that, I realize I was made for that. And I know some people have done all sorts of things in this room. But, you know, when you step into that, that realm of following God at this place, you suddenly, you step into a realm where you think, I was made for this. I didn't have the right qualification. I wasn't from the right family. I didn't have, but I was made for this. When we're in the center of what God moves our hearts for, you know, we find what we're made for. Nehemiah was made for that time. Not just as a cupbearer, but as someone who would rebuild the city. Someone who would set in course God's, God's, God rest God's restoration plan. It was part of his destiny. I just encourage you as a church and as individuals, you know, God wants to do something in your life. And as, even as we look to the autumn season, this is a time to recalibrate our lives. And say, where am I maybe not quite right? Where do I need to kind of get 
maybe refocused and, and plugged into the direction that God has spoken to me. Why don't you stand with me, please? Thank you for listening to this week's podcast at Centre Church. One church passionately loving God and people in Burgess Hill and Brighton. To get the latest news or for any other information, check out our website at www.centrechurch.uk.